Hello, Liturgy Guys listeners. This is Michael Coy of Ex Corde at Benedictine College. We are the Liturgy Guys' new producers and editors, and we have another great episode for you. But did you know this is also a video episode? That's right, the latest two episodes of the Liturgy Guys, Are You a Victim at Mass? and Liturgy Quiz Part 8, were recorded in front of a live studio audience right here at Benedictine College. You can see these videos by visiting Ex Corde on Facebook, YouTube, and at xcorde.org. All those links are in the description. So without further ado, the latest episode of The Liturgy Guys. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Now it's up to us? Okay. All right. And here we are. Thanks for coming tonight, everybody. Feel free to clap, laugh, uh, boo, whatever it is you want to do. No hissing, please. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Unless we deserve it in that case. I'm Dennis McNamara. I'm the director of the Center for Beauty and Culture uh, here at Benedictine College. You know Chris Karstens, who's the editor of the Adoramos Bulletin and the Office of Worship Director for the Diocese of La Crosse. And Jesse, who knows lots of things, is an expert in media, but also is now the director of the Liturgical Institute in Mundelein, Illinois, which is the seminary uh, for the Archdiocese of Chicago and many other dioceses, including many of the priests here in Kansas City. And we're here to talk about, are you a victim at mass? So I don't know if you thought that was an intriguing title. Jesse's kind of our everyman. Jesse, are you a victim at mass? I try to be. I actually made this little folder here that says victims on it, and I thought that would be fun to carry around and wonder what, uh, what people thought. What do you think, Chris? Are you a victim at Mass? Yeah. Well, what are you, they victims at Mass? I don't know. When you hear about, are you a victim, who wants to be a victim? Well, nobody, right? <laughs> to be a victim is, uh, means that you're, you're a casualty of something that's happened to you from outside, uh, some harm, some, some damage, and, and you're, you're, nobody wants to be a victim, at least uh, on the surface of it, or culturally or socially. So I would say, no, we don't want to be victims. Right. In general, victims are thought to be people who suffer unjustly. Maybe uh, if they go out of existence, they're crushed, there's no good, there's a sacrifice that's at work. But or even, what about, you know, you hear about someone having a victim mentality? You know, you ever heard that expression? You know, and what does that mean? I don't know. You were telling kind of Dennis about me the other day that I had a victim mentality. Oh, so why poor do you just Jesse. <laughs> woe is me. Woe is me. Yeah, right. So generally, being a, having a victim mentality uh, or being a victim at Mass, or maybe you think you go to Mass, and if you have a victim mentality, it's because you're a victim of poor music or uh, preaching or uh, but whatever. But we about the spotless victim, right? Well, that's just it. I mean, so we had... Um, we went to Mass this morning, and uh, after Mass, uh, they had uh, exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. And what did we sing? Oh, saving victim, or oh, salutaris host. Yeah, did you tell John, actually, uh, our, our host tonight, that he was going to be the victim? Because hostia means, right, victim. victim. Actually, as a little... Uh, uh, sorry to load this thing down with tangents whenever you get to the <laughs> end. Good for somebody you, somebody um, uh, pointed out to me that you know you, you, those little breads that you have at Mass, it's just common to speak of them as hosts, but they're actually not hosts until 
they become victims until at the point of consecration. They're just breads. And then they become hosts because they're victims at that point. Right, but, but Christ is the true victim. When you read a lot of the documents of the 20th century, and even earlier than the 20th century, Christ is always spoken of as the true victim, capital V, the divine victim. And it doesn't sound so great. I mean, there's different ways to think about what Christ did. So he took our place on the cross. And actually, the word victim is related to the word vicar. If you have a vicar in your parish who takes the place of the pastor when he's gone, or if you suffer vicariously, it's the same word. Victim and vicar are related to each other. So people often say, well, Jesus took our suffering. The suffering that we deserved, he took on himself, which is actually true. But it's a little bit more than that. What do you know about this, Chris? You've been reading Mediator Day, Pius uh, XII's yeah. well, document. And, uh, as uh, we were explaining to somebody before, for, we've been preparing for this podcast for hours. And hours. On end. So, and we've been reading uh, Mediator Day, which is by uh, anybody? Pius the... Well, okay, right? Nineteen forty seven. Sorry, we're out of good. shirts, but you still get a bad And uh, we've been reading a Sacrosanctum Concilium from what's the year of that? Sixty-three. Yeah, enough with the bell. Yeah, okay. Anyway. And uh, the general instruction, and we've been looking through the prayers of the Mass uh, and whatnot, because the, the, this language about Jesus being the victim is not, you know, something that uh, uh, Doctor McNamara invented. I mean, this is this is the Church's own uh, language here. But this is when you said that earlier, Jesse. That's what I'm thinking about today. And the kind of the question we want to address is, what makes Jesus a saving victim versus a tragic victim? Right? Because, again, we said on the surface, we don't want to be victims. But then again, you were all baptized in order so that you can be victims. And so you do need to foster, all of us do, you need to teach your kids, teach my kids, how to be victims at Mass in the proper way. So I think the first question is, yeah, how is it that Jesus is a victim? Well, one of the key distinctions between being a victim who is just ground into the wheels of history or ground into the dust of history I could ask, we usually ask Jesse these questions <laughs> when uh, we have questions. We have so many more people here yeah, to, okay. <laughs> to share your misery with you. Okay, so Christ <laughs> to be dies victim, on the cross. Victims of the question. And then it looks like his movement is over, right? Like he lost. The Romans killed him. What's the big thing that makes him not just merely a ground in the wheels of history by the victim? You probably all know this, but we'll give it to Jesse this time. The resurrection. The resurrection, right. So. The what victory. happens? The victory? I, I don't know if that's related or not, but it so sounds the same. Okay. It is tonight. <laughs> it is. All right. Okay. <laughs> They're first cousins, probably. Right. So if you just die and suffer, big deal. You die and suffer, and you are resurrected, radiant, glorified. You know, Christ still has his wounds when he's resurrected, so they're not gone, but they're beautiful now. And it proves to us that all of our sufferings, if we enter into that same process of the Paschal Mystery, uh, we can rise again and uh, share it with Christ's victory. It doesn't really help us with being victims, though. I'll, I'll toss it to you, Chris. What do you want to add? Well, I think, you know, what, you know, what makes Jesus uh, a saving victim and not just a, a, a casualty of, of evil, which, of course, he was. Um, and so I mean, I, I'd invite everybody to ask themselves, why, why did Jesus' death uh, save us and not just be the greatest act of evil that the world has seen? What was it about his giving that wins our salvation and makes him a savior and that inspires us to become victims as well? well he, gave, it, he gave for us on behalf of us. Yeah, okay, so he gave, uh, on, so it, it, wasn't, it was not selfish, but selfless. Less, correct. Okay, all right. What else do you think? Well, he did so so that we might also follow him. Okay. All right. 
But I think the, the word, one of the, I'm really bad at this actually, you know, I'm thinking of a color. You should have you know, a if podcast. You could just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's uh, who's uh, um, like a theologian, uh, has a, the in, uh, pursuing a theology uh, major, right? Or scripture, like it? is there a scripture degree? Okay. Uh, maybe you can speak to this. I remember hearing this once upon a time, but I don't know if that's true anymore. But it's in the, it's in the Gospel of St. John when they go to arrest Jesus, you know, before his passion, that the character of Jesus in the Gospel of St. John is that he is entirely willing. And like, so when they come to, uh, uh, to arrest him in the garden, and he says, uh, whom are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And what do they do? they fall back they fall back he says get up i asked you who are you looking for you know and apparently again you can verify this or not is that at least in the gospel of saint john there's a real jesus is in charge of this and that he's not a passive victim but he is a willing victim so i think another characteristic of jesus's um, victimhood is that not only is it selfless and done for others is that it's done with a, entirely with, uh, with free will, okay? And then keep these things in mind as we go through this because the end game is, well, how am I supposed to be a, a victim at Mass Spoiler as well? alert, yeah, geez. Yeah, stay for the end, stay for the end. It's but. hard to imagine Christ's happiest moment is dying on the cross. This is what I was sent for. This is why the Father sent me. I'm offering this out of love. You know, you hear examples of people like St. Gianna, she gave her life for her child or someone who pushes a child out of the way and gets hit by a car and gives their life for the other. That's not being a victim. That's being, there's a tragic element to it, but that's a gift out of love. And then these people become saints and they're held up for uh, emulation by others and, and celebrated by the church. So being a victim in love is very much different from a self-hating kind of victim and letting people push you around as a doormat. So it's all through liturgy, right? We hear this in um, Mediator Today, which is again, this uh, document that Pius XII put out about the liturgy and he says it quite, uh, explicitly over and over again, especially around 98. Chris found some of these, uh, mm. some of these citations here. Uh, he's talking about the oblation of Christ. In other words, this kind of total self-gift, this uh, destruction, and for it to have its faithful, uh, its effect on the faithful, they have to offer the divine victim to the Heavenly Father uh, as well, and people have to offer themselves as a victim. Now, this is something I talk about in class a lot because it's sort of something dear to my heart. I don't know how many people actually offer themselves as a victim at Mass. I don't know. Has anybody done this before? You can raise your hands. You a couple? Okay. <laughs> because you heard it about in class recently? Yeah, okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> Welcome to Benedictine College, right? That's why you're here. You came to Benedictine College to be a victim. Well, what does it mean? Christ is offering himself to... My daughter came back with a victim mentality. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> in the best sense. Christ is offering himself to the Father. He's resurrected on the other side of it. And that mystery of Christ, this Christ self-offering, is available to us, too. And it, what happens to Christ can happen to us if we say yes, out of freedom and out of love. And so Pius XII defined active participation in the liturgy as offering yourself as a victim on the paten with the priest. This is not what they would have said in 1974. Probably what, what would active participation be? Standing, sitting, being the lector, right, being on being the parish council, minister, giving out like donuts that. at the end, you yeah. know, turning to your neighbor, turning are. to your left, saying hello. But the real center of the action is I want to enter this process of becoming a victim so I can rise again. With I think Christ. the willingness, I think, is incredibly important. You mentioned this, Chris, too, because we also have to be willing ourselves. And of course, if we're not willing, it doesn't change his sacrifice at all. I mean, it's 
his sacrifice is going to be there regardless, right? It's operating to its to its fullness, and by by us actually being willing participants in and of ourselves, that is the fullness of this entire act. And what's great about that is that um, it's it's not necessarily a you know he's requiring you you have to do this. Right. But it has to be a free offering. Exactly, exactly. It's it's the invitation to enjoying ourselves. Um, but you know that's that's such a high standard of what Christ Himself did. You know to be able to attach ourselves to that and to know that that operates regardless of whether Jesse or Dennis or Chris decides to willingly, you know, offer ourselves as a victim. I think is important to know. Right. I talk about the uh, the holy microwave a lot in in class that the presence of God is like this high-energy microwave. You go in the microwave and it's on, you're cooked, right? So the presence of God is like that. And so the presence of God, the, the saving action of Christ is being made present at the Mass, and you can kind of read the bulletin, or you can do something else, or you can zone out, or you can say, yes, I'm giving my free consent to enter into this process of dying and rising again. You know, there's lots of biblical things like that. The grain of wheat has to die. It has to fall to the ground and die, and then it bears multiples of that fruit. So if you think about yourself, and all of us too, we all have things that are good about us, and you have to give them up, because you want to be better. I have But sins. you have more things that are bad about you. Yeah, so. well, I, I, I'm, I, I try to be a greater <laughs> victim than, than Big most old victim. <laughs> but the good things about you want to be better. The bad things about, about you want to be better. I'm going to give this away. Even think about sports or something like that. You're, you want to become a great basketball player, you have to give up the Doritos and the ice cream and the sitting on the couch and the Netflix time, you gotta do your- That is the only thing holding me back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you really, you really pinned it down for Yeah, me. yeah. I don't know why I looked at you when I said yeah. that, but, um, but you know, you wanna, be a, you wanna be ready when you know, you're on the team and the, the other uh, the team's fans are shaking the keys at you and you just wanna get that free throw that wins the game. If you haven't given up yourself, your laziness, your inability to be a free throw Thrower. Free thrower. Free thrower. <laughs> then you have to die to that lazy part of yourself so that you can become even better at basketball. Now take it to the high level. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like God. I want to live in the, the love of the Father. I want to know what that's like. I want to overcome my laziness. You've got to die to all of that stuff. So some of it is natural virtue and acquiring of virtue through habits. The part we can't do is, Father, take me. Right? Father, kill me. But not in the literal sense, you're going to be you know, carried up to the altar and have your throat cut. It's much easier than that, right? <laughs> but it is in a similar way. Imagine if God said to you, I want you to give me everything you have. Your health. I mean, which of us wants MS or cancer tomorrow? None of us. Give me your intellect. Which one of us not, wants not to be able to think or walk tomorrow? What if God said, give me your good name. You're going to be accused of something you haven't done in a publicly shameful way. Like, which one of us is really detached enough to say, Yes, if God wants that, I will say yes to that. So when you talk about dying to self, this is serious business here. Most of the time, God doesn't ask that from us, which is, which is good. Thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> but geez. sometimes he does, right? Yeah. Some great saints were, lived in scandal for a long time, and they had to be silent and die to their personal wishes. So like Padre Pio, for instance, uh, he could uh, rise uh, with Christ later. Mm. I, know, could, apart from, I can what, hear you thinking. Well, like I am. So I'm ahead. still trying to figure out this microwave thing. But, <laughs> but apart from that, apart from that. Just don't put it on the popcorn setting because that's yeah. totally different uh, process. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, that, yeah. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church, 
and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. There, it was remind, reminding me of this prayer that uh, some of you might know. I think it's uh, Ignatius of Loyola, although I think it's probably older than him, that uh, Sushipe prayer. Receive, O Lord, my entire freedom, except the whole of my memory, my intellect, my will, whatever I have, whatever I possess, I surrender it completely to the guidance of your holy will. Right, and you read about, I only read about people like this because I can't speak to this firsthand. But you read about, you know, the St. Ignatiuses or the St. Francis of Assisi or St. Benedict, who, those people who really are able to give everything over to God, right? They're like the happiest people in the world. I think I'm going to try that. So you haven't quite done that yet, then? I, I well, I'm, but <laughs> Dennis said before, God isn't asking us to do this every day, but he sort of is at the same time. That's boils down to really that, right? And life's uh, struggle is, is uh, how much do we imitate, you know, echo the first Adam that says, uh, uh, not thy will, but mine be done, or echo the second Adam's, not my will, but thine be done. And so all of life is trying to, to give yourself all over to God. And now, I think um, if we can bring this to the mass, right? So if... if um, finally. Finally, <laughs> finally, finally. I'm waiting for... Finally, like, finally. Just tell me what I need to do. Right? Well, yeah. well, knowing what you need to do and doing it, right, is two very different things. But I think if you, you know, to give over yourself at the mass, you can do that. You're supposed to do this your whole life, of course. But the mass is this privileged, privileged occasion where you can co-operate with the Osalotaris Ostia and become this co-worker with him in this saving uh, oblation, the saving victimhood. And so you give over yourself. Oh, yeah, this was the other thing I wanted to say. Sorry about that. So this is from, uh, I don't know if you read this book in class at all. It's, it's Cardinal Ratzinger's The Spirit of the Liturgy, where he talks about uh, sacrifice, the notion of sacrifice. Uh, and he says that the common uh, notion of sacrifice is buried beneath the debris of endless misunderstandings. He says the common notion of sacrifice has something to do with destruction, death, slitting, you know, that's what most people think uh, of it to be. But he says the true biblical notion of sacrifice isn't this losing out uh, destruction aspect, it's this union with God this coming to this union with God. And so when you go to Mass then, right, it's not uh, simply, or the end game isn't simply to be losing out on, you know, whatever it might be in your life. It's giving all those things over to God. This is the true victim mentality, I think. Giving all those things that are truly you at your core, at your heart. And, you know, as you said before, and you imagine that your victim is one of these grains in the soon-to-be host, and so you're one of those grains in that bread. And it's, um, I mentioned this last night, we've talked about this before. Think of that morning prayer, that morning offering about your prayers, works, joys, and sufferings. All those things you're praying for, all those things that give you joy, all, the, all of your struggles, all of your sins, all of your intentions, 
all of those things get, this is one of the uh, interpretations when the, the deacon pours water into the chalice, he's pouring you into the chalice. And the thing is, as somebody pointed out, you can't get that water back out. And in fact, it ceases to be water, right? It becomes, in proper proportion, it just becomes more wine. And then you get, if you can get in there, if you can get into that chalice or onto that patent, then you get divinized and changed and perfected, and all that's evil and sinful and bad in you gets burned away. All that is good in you gets elevated and perfected, but you haven't lost out on it. When you go to communion, then God's going to give you all of those things back, and you become more and more like God all the time, but... Anyway. And I was reading about this, how the, how the Jewish uh, temple sacrifices worked. There were a bunch of different kinds, but one of them was called the substitution uh, sacrifice, or the communion sacrifice. And so how it worked was the high priest could not actually sacrifice himself. We talked about this in class today because I've been thinking about it. And he couldn't offer himself on the altar because then he'd be dead. So he has this animal that vicariously is the victim, right? It takes the place of the offerer. And then... It's like uh, Isaac when he's being offered by Abraham, and then they, he gets the ram. Right, he gets instead. a vicarious yeah. offering instead. But what would happen in this tradition was they would burn the animal, and the, certain parts of it were burned, and the, the smoke would rise up to God, and then certain parts of it were kept. The idea was that the offerer became one with the offering. So if you were offering a, a bull to God, you weren't offering yourself, but you were saying this is now my vicar, right? This is vicariously taking my place. We're sending it up into the spirit realm, the realm of God. It's going to become transformed by the divinity of God. And then when it comes back, this victim slash priest will now be eaten by the person who did the offering. And then they will take into themselves the glorified reality of the victim. Now, the high priest couldn't do this for real because he wasn't offering himself. He had someone else, this animal is being offered instead. Well, you see where this is going? Christ is the true priest. He's the offerer, but he's also the true victim. So he's identified with the victim. He doesn't need a vicar to take his place because he is the, the one who's offered and the one that's offered. And then when we take bread and then send it up in the, you know, the prayer, the sending, we talked about this yesterday, the mise, not only means go at the end of mass, but it also means the sending of the sacrifice up to God's altar in heaven. It comes back as a sacrificial victim, and then we eat, we eat the victim but if we're not on the, this is back to the microwave, Chris. If we're not on the patent, put in this <laughs> heavenly microwave, right, of God's active uh, transformative presence, then we're just watching some interesting but amazing thing that we're not part of. All God can do is offer us this stuff. What, you, you taught me this, Chris, but I can ask you too. What cannot what God... What have I taught you, Dennis? You, you've taught me lots of things, okay. Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what cannot God not force us to give him? I know you know. Maybe Ourselves. You know. Yeah, but what particularly about ourselves? Our, our will. Our will, our freedom, right? Because if God said, put yourself on the patent or you're destroyed, well, that's not really helping in this whole sacrificial transformation. Love me or I will destroy you. Not real love, right? So Christ had to say, I love you enough to offer myself for you, to inspire you to be a victim as I'm a victim, and then you will see my love for you and you'll say yes. So the, here's the part where you have to be a victim to say, yes, I trust you enough. God, that if you take my life, my health, my intellect, my good name, my finances, my spouse, my kids, I will still trust you because I know your love is that strong. And so God has to, has to have us love him. And that's why we have to freely offer ourselves on the um, altar as a victim. And it can't be done out of um, insistence. How, how do you practically do that, though? 
I mean, we talked a lot about the theory, and we <clears throat> talked a lot about you know understanding the theology of all of this. But in a very practical sense, you are sitting in the pew at mass. What are you supposed to do? Not that hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> your your conscious intellect, your will, your heart. Say it to yourself. Say it to God. Father, I put myself on the pen. Father, this priest is about to offer uh, this prayer. The priest will come to you and say, Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours, yours <laughs> may become acceptable. Yes, I do offer this, that this may be acceptable. Um, For the praise of the glory, glory of his God. name yeah. and the good of his holy church. Right. So when you say those words, people rise and reply and say these things. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands. Oh, may the Lord accept the sacrifice. I mean, ponder that for a second. What are we asking this priest to go in the presence of God and give us to him? Chris, Chris offers a very practical uh, solution to this with his, with his kids. And now I, I do this with my, my children as well. Um, How old's Theodore? He is uh, almost two months. Two months, yeah. Yeah. But he talks like a five-year-old. Like a podcaster. No. Uh, he's not even walking yet. Uh, it's weird. Really weird. Uh, so Chris taught me this, and I pass this on to my kids. But uh, when, the, when the priest is preparing the gifts on the altar, uh, pouring the wine in the chalice and preparing the patent, uh, my kids, and they've instructed to do so uh, per Chris's suggestion, they grab their hearts. I say, grab your heart. Grab everything, anything you want to pray for, anything you want to give God, anything. And so all of us, our whole family in the pew, we're all grabbing our heart. And we, and we look, kind of look around, is everybody ready? And then we all throw our hearts in there. And it looks a little weird, and it's not necessarily a liturgical posture. Yeah. Or no, the rubric actually says Oh, it does? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People like, oh, the Weiler family's here again. <laughs> through my heart, through my heart, through my most secret heart. No. Um, but, you know, my children are not old enough to receive the Eucharist yet. But... The reason we, we do this uh, is so that when they do get to that point, when they're, they can fully participate in the liturgy, they, something in their mind will say, oh, something's happening there. I, oh, we, I have to do something. You know, I have to actively participate here. And so there's little things that you can do, even with children, uh, to get them to start orienting themselves you know, to be more actively participating yeah. in the liturgy. It's hardly childish, though. I mean, your, your four-year-old has a true victim mentality yeah. if they're doing that. Yeah. Right? And this is, uh, I mean, all these li underlinings on this document. and made two, you, never, you know that when you do that in your books and your notes, you underline so many things that it's all, you just should have saved it your time. I mean, all the same. Anyway, um, nor should Christians, this is Pius XII, forget to offer themselves their cares, their sorrows, their distress, and their necessities in union with their divine savior upon the cross. And so that's what we're supposed to do at Mass, be truly intentional uh, about getting into that child. If you're just sitting in the nave, don't. <laughs> Get from your spot in the nave into the chalice and onto the paten. Let God divinize and transform and transfigure you. And then he's gonna give you back all of the good minus all of the bad. And we're gonna keep growing in, uh, uh, in sanctity, so. I know, anyway. I know we kind of wrap up here a little bit, but I, I do want to make sure that we at least make mention of the fruits of all of this, you know? So are we just doing this just in this, you know, uh, space just within the church building where this happens and then, you know, we, we're victims, we offer ourselves. Is, is that it? Or what, what, why do we do that and what does it lead to? Because I think that's an important part of this whole process. Well, too. it's making me think of sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about the origin of the word sacrifice, sacra, 
and facere in Latin literally means to be made holy. So if you're giving yourself, giving yourself over to God and you say, take everything that I am and make me holy. Imagine if you had a personal trainer, you know, like, well, I really want to lift weights my way. No, you will die to yourself, right? <laughs> You'll obey the personal trainer. If you're on the football team, you can't say, well, I really don't want to lift today, coach. I'll just, you know, toss a ball around. No, you will die to your personal self. So you're made a football player, but take it this way. You're made holy by giving yourself over to the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. And a holy person does what? I know some of people here in the liturgical movement uh, class, and what's always the answer? If you're holy from the Eucharist, there's no more... Ontology. No. Columns. <laughs> <laughs> no more what? Nuclear war. nuclear war. Okay, now that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> How could receiving the Eucharist properly mean no more nuclear war? Well, someone has to push the button for that bomb. Someone had to drop it on Nagasaki. Someone had to make that decision. If that person is so transformed by the love of God, they would say, oh, of course I can't do that. I can never do that. Or not ignoring the person on the street because you're filled with love. You've given yourself, your inability to love has died, and you say, God, make me a person who's able to love the people that are <coughs> hard to love. Um, <laughs> Jesse. He's just running no, the audio no, no, down no, there. Okay. Right? <laughs> and then these are the fruits in daily life in all kinds of ways. So when, when they're thinking about this in the middle of the 20th century, how do we transform the world? What are they worried about? World War I, World War II, the French Revolution, the growth of atheism, Marxism, racism, um, Cold War, the potential to destroy life on the planet with nuclear war for the first time in the, in the history of the world. We better do something fast so the people participate. Now what happened is, oh well, you know, if, if I walk around with a guitar or if I uh, stand, sit, kneel, or I'm a lecture, then I'm participating. Think of it this other way around. Real participation is offering yourself as a victim so that you can be resurrected, and a resurrected person who shares in the resurrected Christ is just a walking fruit tree. Is that how's I guess that? Is <laughs> <laughs> a walking Fake Jesus? Figures. Yeah, walking Jesus, right? <laughs> now the cross, you notice, is a, is called a tree, and the Adam and Eve fell off the tree. We're saved by a tree. Then at the center of the Book of Revelation's vision of heaven are trees whose leaves are good for medicine. In other words, the tree that brought death is now the trees that provide life. And so if you're walking around just giving away life, here's a, here's a healing word, here's a loving word, here's this thing I heard about, this thing in your family, you know, can I pray for you? That's a little bit of healthy fruit, you know, that undoes little by little the, the fruit that uh, brought death. That's just being another Christ. Uh, and this somebody. is, I mean, this is really important. The two goals of the Mass are glorification of God and sanctification of mankind. And I think we all understand to a certain degree that we're glorifying God in Mass. I mean, I think that's the easier thing to understand, and most people understand that. But it's not just sanctifying yourself, it's sanctifying mankind. And so we co collectively participate in that, and then, then no nukes. Mm -hmm. Last night, Chris was visiting and drinking beer, and where I live, my apartment has very squeaky floors, and the lady downstairs goes to bed early. And if we walk around too much, she bangs on the ceiling, which makes me crazy. And I sometimes bang she back. She could be a podcast yeah. <laughs> But because Chris was there, I was on my best behavior. I was like, okay, I'm going to be patient with the lady downstairs. That was like a little bit of fruit because we could have engaged in this, you know, floor-banging war. And we didn't. <laughs> Very simple kind of thing, you know. But there's, life is full of those kinds of things uh, all day long. So how's that for victimhood? I think it's great. Okay, so we're going to do another podcast. Uh, it's actually a quiz. Chris is going to be our quiz master, and Jesse and I will be uh, put aside, well, put against each other to see who can win. So I'm kind of hoping that I don't lose in front of all of my uh, students here, but <laughs> I, I think we have a little five-minute break. We're also, oh, uh, well, 
I'm just going to do this, but I'll do it since I'm talking. We have uh, a little notepad, sticky pad thing around. If you have liturgical questions, uh, write them on this uh, page, and at the end of the second podcast, we'll answer some and of them. And I'll save you some time. Here. Holding fan- hands during the Our Father is not a prescribed posture. So, <laughs> darn it, Jesse. That's always the number one thing that people ask. So. All right. See you in five minutes. Thank you. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, Adoremus, the Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture and Ex Corde, both at Benedictine College. Now that's a podcast.